0: It's the Musical Theater Book Club. Let's talk about a show. Welcome to Musical Theater Book Club, where we talk about our favorite musicals, our least favorite musicals, and everything in between. I'm Berkeley. I'm Sarah. And today we are again not talking about a musical, so (laughs) sorry. (laughs) We are actually talking about a genre that we have talked about, mentioned a number of times. We're talking about vaudeville today. I don't know if any either of us could really have much of a personal connection to vaudeville, so I think we can just go into it. (laughs) Um, We're not old enough to have that. So vaudeville is a variety entertainment show that originated in France in the 19th century. It was originally a comedic genre that was interspersed with songs and ballets, but this changed when it moved to the U.S. and Canada in the 1880s. It became a series of unrelated acts grouped together under one billing. For example, you could have a magician, an opera singer, an acrobat, a trained animal, and a dancer all in one show. The list of different entertainment goes on. Think like a freak show meets a musical meets a burlesque show, and that sort of scratches the surface. It actually became known as the heart of American entertainment, which is terrible as we get further down into the notes.
1: (laughs) So it's kind of started. So with its first subtle appearances in the early 1860s, vaudeville was not initially a common form of entertainment, And then it gradually evolved from the concert saloon and variety halls into its mature form through the 1870s and 1880s. This more gentle form was known as polite vaudeville. So vaudeville was characterized by traveling companies touring through cities and towns. Kind of like you said, you know, you could have all these different different little entertainers, almost like a talent show, just kind of combined into one. A handful of circuses regularly toured the country. Dime museums appeared to the curious amusement parks, riverboats, and town halls. Often featured cleaner presentations of variety entertainment compared to saloons, music halls, and burlesque houses, which catered to the, for the taste for the more risque. Ooh. From the mid-1860s, impersonator Tony Pastor, a former singing circus clown, who had become a prominent variety theater performer and manager, capitalized on middle-class sensibilities and spending power when he began to feature polite variety programs from his New York theaters. And then he began using the term vaudeville in place of variety in the early 1876.
0: So B.F.K. took the next step, starting in Boston, where he built an empire of theaters and brought vaudeville to the U.S. and Canada. Circuits such as those managed by Keith Albee provided vaudeville's greatest economic innovations and the principal sources of its industrial strength. They enabled a chain of allied vaudeville houses that remedied the chaos of the single theater booking system by contracting acts for regional and national tours. These could easily be lengthened from a few weeks to two years. Albee also gave national prominence to vaudeville's trumpeting polite entertainment, a commitment to entertaining equally inoffensive to men, women, and children. Acts that violated this ethos um, were admonished and threatened with the expulsion from the week's remaining performances or were canceled altogether, which blows my mind because that would never happen now.
1: So this polite entertainment also extended to Keith's company members. He went to extreme measures to maintain this level of modesty Keith even went so far as to posting warnings backstage, such as don't say slob or son of a gun or holy G. (laughs) Which just reminds me, it makes me think of music man, just as far as like, I can't think of what it, like you got trouble or whatever. And it's like, is your son saying things like swell. (laughs) What? (laughs) By the late 1980s, vaudeville had large circuits, um, houses small and large at every sizable location, standard bookings, broad pools of skilled acts and loyal national following. One of the main circuits was Martin Beck's Orpheum Circuit, which incorporated the 1919 and brought it together, 45 vaudeville theaters in 36 cities throughout the U.S. and Canada. And then another major circus was Alexander Pantages. So in his heyday, Pantages owned more than 30 vaudeville theaters and controlled through management contracts, perhaps 60 more in both the U.S. and Canada, which... Most likely you may have heard the name Orpheum or Pantages. Many, I mean, California has a theater named after both of them. I know there's tons of theaters around the U.S. named Orpheum, and mm-hmm. I'm sure Pantages is the same way. I'm glad we know that now, because I know
0: we were questioning that when we really first started the podcast.
1: Yeah, and I think that we have Orpheum Circuit down as something that we can talk about sometime, because that and I'm sure the Pantages thing on their own probably have like such a history to them.
0: True. So at its height, vaudeville played across multiple strata of economic classes and auditorium sizes. On the vaudeville circuit, it was said that if an act would succeed in Peoria, Illinois, it would work anywhere. Such a random place. Isn't I guess just middle
1: America. That? Yeah. I don't know, but it did say afterwards that for a while it was like a common, that was like a common saying, like will it work in Peoria? But ah. I never heard that, but there was like, I guess that became like a common saying for a while. Interesting. Huh.
0: Three of the most common levels were the small time. These were lower paying contracts for more frequent performance in rougher, often converted theaters. Medium time, which were moderate wages for two performances each day in purpose-built theaters. And the big time, which would pay several thousand dollars per week in large urban theaters, largely patronized by the middle and upper middle class. The capital of the big time was New York City's Palace Theater, Built by Martin Beck in 1913, featured a bill stocked with innovative inventive novelty acts, national celebrities, and acknowledged masters of vaudeville performances, such as Will Rogers, which we all know from 1991, Will Rogers' Follies. The Palace Theater provided what many vaudevillians considered the apotheosis of remarkable careers.
1: So in the New York Tribute article about vaudeville, it said that at any given time, vaudeville were employing over 12,000 different people throughout the entire industry. Each entertainer would be on the road 42 weeks at a time while working in a particular circuit or an individual theater chain of a major company. And it just I feel like that just gives you an idea, too, of like how big it is. Like that's so many people all over just performing, especially considering most of the acts were like one or two people, too. So it's not like, you know, it's not like a show now where it's like, obviously, there's tons of people working on one thing. So while the neighborhood characters of vaudeville had always promoted a tendency to tailor fare to specific audiences, mature vaudeville grew to feature houses and circuits specifically aimed at certain demographics. Um, black patrons, often segregated in the rear of the second gallery, and white-oriented theaters had their, own smaller circuits, had their own smaller circuits, as did speakers of Italian and Yiddish.
0: At its height, vaudeville was rivaled only by churches and public schools among the nation's premier public gathering places. That doesn't surprise me, (laughs) but I like that they say that they were rivaled. (laughs) (laughs) Do I go to
1: church today, or (laughs) do I go to school today, or do I go to the (laughs) vaudeville?
0: As stated in Andrew Indren's book, The Blue Vaudeville, the vaudeville stage was a highly sexualized space where unclad bodies, provocative dancers, and singers of blue lyrics all vied for attention. Such performances highlighted and objectified the female body as a sexual delight, a phenomenon that historians believe emerged in the 19th century.
1: <laughs> but I was surprised because on the flip side, I said, but more than that, these historians think that vaudeville marked a time in which females' bodies became known as its own sexual spectacle more than it ever had before. The more this image brought in the heightened revenue, the more vaudeville focused on acts involving women, even acts that were innocent as a sister act, were higher sellers than a good brother act. They eventually led being focused less on the talent and more on physical appearance through their figure, tight gowns, and other revealing attire. It eventually came as a surprise to audience members when such beautiful women actually possessed talents in addition to appealing looks.
0: Love that. <laughs> oh,
1: good old early sexism. hmm <laughs>
0: I think and this has to be where like the development of the showgirl came from.
1: Yeah, I know. It's just it's always interesting like reading these and just thinking about the other things that were happening at this time. So in the nineteen twenties, announcements seeking all girls bands for vaudeville performances appeared in industry publications like Billboard, Variety, and in newspapers. Bands were well publicized while other groups were similarly described as all review all girls review. Slimmer trends in theater and film objectified images of women to allow male gaze and the gender divisions developed as women's roles and public lives were expanding. And I mean in the nineteen twenties, same time women just got the right to vote. And it's like such such two different things happening for women at this time.
0: It's almost like theater was trying to keep alive what they wanted to see. And I mean to be fair, theater was being created by what? White men? So I mean yeah, it's almost like what they wanted to continue to see versus what was actually happening in the in, you know, the, the real world. So like I had mentioned earlier, I thought it was interesting to see who sort of came out of vaudeville because and we'll get into this in a little bit. But vaudeville performers go on to do a lot of things. And you'll see just when I start naming off some of these people. <laughs> um, so Abbott and Costello, the Andrew sisters, Ella Fitzgerald. I had no idea. I also had no idea Judy Garland started off in vaudeville. I also had no idea George Gershwin started off in vaudeville. Not that any of this really surprises me at all. I just, I think my timeline of where things are in history is weird sometimes, (laughs) especially with musical theater, like specifically West Side Story and Gypsy. Those two trip me up a little bit for some reason.
1: Yeah. No, like, I mean, (laughs) like we said with our, like our history of Broadway one, like Broadway seems like it's been such a long thing, but it hasn't. When you think of these older shows from like, their 30s 40s 50s 60s like you know these people weren't 10 15 20 when they came up with these shows like these people have been around and had this whole life beforehand
0: yeah when we think about it we're not even a hundred years from when the golden age started we still have 20 more years before the golden age of musical theater reaches like 100 years old which blows my mind the thing with vaudeville is it reflected much of America's ever-changing culture at the time. The main performers were Irish-Americans, and they were the subject to discrimination. And there was a lot of stereotypes portrayed in these performances that were based off of Irish people because they they had the most recent immigration wave at the time. So they were sort of lower class, and people were like, well, let's make fun of them because classism was obviously a thing back then. <laughs> After the Irish immigration wave, there were a number of waves from people of different backgrounds. Since the Irish were already settled, they began to assert their position and assert the racial hierarchy based on skin tone. Irish performers became the prominent vaudeville entertainers. This And this is where I start to get mad in my research. And I'm like, ah! Irish performers would take new immigrant cultures and define them on stage. Vaudeville became almost a way for people to understand other cultures but through like their eyes which is so bad so bad obviously this created racial tensions and is what ultimately led to blackface on stage the whole idea behind blackface was essentially to place african-americans beneath the irish and racial and social hierarchy which is i don't even think we have to talk about how bad this is <laughs> yeah seriously. Like, it, it wasn't just blackface that was happening obviously that was predominantly what was going on and that's obviously that's what we hear of when we think about vaudeville but there were other there were other types of racial character caricatures going on and like i said they were using them to understand these different people but it's like it's not correct or <laughs> right or, it's just so bad and I, am i sad vaudeville declined no
1: so yeah so it declined
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank god <laughs>
1: So the growth of the movies in the 1910s really hurt vaudeville the most. Many popular vaudeville performers used their fame to get into movies. Due to this, many people exhausted their act in just a few moments on the stage. Many people also realized how important film was, so they would add them into vaudeville shows. And as film grew, vaudeville began to decline, and when the Great Depression hit, vaudeville was almost completely wiped out.
0: As bad as vaudeville was, it did a lot of things for modern entertainment, and I I guess we have to give it credit for that. So it was it was really instrumental in the success of film, radio, and television, and Broadway too. I mean, we talked about it. Um, I think in we talked about it in one of our past episodes, probably that, our history of Broadway one. Probably yeah, where Broadway yeah, it was history of Broadway where they were taking ideas from vaudeville and putting them on the Broadway stage. They also did this with. Um, with all other different types of entertainment, comedians adopted many of the tropes from vaudeville acts. They also employed a number of vaudeville performers, which at least a lot of these performers got to continue to perform. Um, The idea, the one thing that I thought was really interesting was the idea of a single host introducing acts and how that became like a television trope that developed over time, which is I'm wondering is if that's where sort of talk shows came from, like the development from like these, variety act introducers <laughs> hosts that's what they're called and that over time we slowly get the development of of the talk show and I think even through when you really think about it you can see how that goes on to have success in film radio and television I think that that's really interesting Sort of, sort of what you were saying with the words earlier. I think it's really interesting because vaudeville started getting their own like types of words. Like flop and gag are two popular words that developed from the vaudeville lexicon. Um, and really, if you look at it, there's a number of things that relate back to vaudeville um, in modern day media. I think it's interesting. I, as we've mentioned before, we we mentioned all these different types of of art forms, early art forms, vaudeville. Um, we could talk about Tin Pan Alley, which was a place where a lot of vaudeville was performed we could talk about operettas and all that kind of stuff so if there's anything that you want to hear us talk about any early art forms that you may not know about let us know where can they let us know
1: so you can email us at mtbcpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at mtbcpodcast or on tiktok or instagram at mtbcpodcast
0: awesome don't forget to rate review and subscribe share with your friends share with your enemies